Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I like how Magnus Helberg got custom pads with Seattle, then immediately got released or traded. Then he got claimed. He got custom ones for uh, Ottawa. Ottawa. Dude spends his his practice check. His per diem is (laughs) completely spent. I respect it. That is like Brad if he was a goalie. True. thousand percent. Uh, So to open this episode of the podcast, we could talk about a lot of the exciting things that are happening. Uh, We're getting towards the end of the preseason. A home and home against Toronto is coming up. The uh, Winged Wheel podcast, uh, Mickey Redmond Flannels have released. Not only have they um, gone out for order, but they have also reached people already. Some people who bought on the first day, which was just a couple days ago, already have them in hand and they're wearing them. Uh, We could talk about all that, or we could talk about the fact that we put out a poll after last episode where you two gaslit me into thinking I'd live my entire life as an alien, not showering at the arena. 2,708 people responded to this poll. The question was, the debate from last night's episode, do you shower at the rink or change and go home to shower after beer league hockey? 51.5% of people, call it 50, I don't care, round down, said they go home and shower. Just goes to show we've already been invaded by the aliens. Vindication. That's just re- it. Just ju- vindication. Just remember how dumb the average person is, and then remember half of them are dumber than that. This poll is just... <laughs> <laughs> no, two, on a serious note, two things. One, that those results legitimately surprised me. Because I've been playing hockey, not even counting like minor hockey. We'll just count 18 and up when you graduate to the beer league circuit and the senior A circuit, whatever. I can count on over those years less than two hands the amount of guys I know that didn't shower at the rink. So like I must travel in very different circles than everybody else. And two, this is still not the flex you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not sitting here I'm saying I'm more afraid of I'm more intrigued by all the people who are scared of showers. <laughs> I'm not saying it is objectively the right way to do it. I'm just saying I walked away from last episode. I actually went downstairs and talked to Mel about it. I was like I, I really thought this was normal. Like, I knew most of the guys I played with did it this way. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I don't side with you at all. This has just made me double down on how horrified I am. The stake is in the ground of dying on this hill, <laughs> if I have to. Anyways, I'm not dying on this hill. i just like to know that I'm, if, if you still want to call me insane, that's fine. But most people are, and that's comforting. Solidarity, folks. Uh, thank you for tuning into the Winged Wheel Podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry for the bizarre intro here, but you know what? There was no way that was going to sit and ride for an hour and a half episode and talk about it at the end. Uh, Here to actually talk to you about Red Wings hockey in the world of the NHL and some exciting things happening there, um, and not so much about showering after beer league hockey. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm consistently fresh and clean, all times and circumstances, Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about the games that the Red Wings have played, uh, some storylines coming out of that. Uh, I think it was like, what, 20 seconds after we said we were concerned about Bertuzzi not showing up in the preseason yet, where he showed up in the preseason. Uh, we'll be talking about, uh, like I mentioned, different players who are notable, Soderblom, Berggren, Kubelik, um, Edvinson. I think there's more discussion to be had there. Uh, Michael Rasmussen has continued to be fantastic, etc. And then uh, Dylan Larkin. And his contract. 
Why is that relevant again? Well, there were other contracts signed across the league and the price is going up, it seems. So we'll be talking about how uh, players like Barzell uh, and their contract uh, affects Dylan Larkin and his negotiation. And then we're going to give you our Western Conference preview. So we're going to be taking a look at what the Western Conference uh, is looking like, give some probably bad predictions, uh, talk about the teams, and uh, just go through our thoughts on how the West is going to shake out for both the Central and the Pacific. And then we'll see if we have time for any other storylines before overtime. Before all that, uh, two things I want to mention. First, actually a few things. Uh, Winged Wheel Podcast, Mickey Redmond style flannels. The ones featured at Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA, you see in the picture of uh, us wearing it with Ken and Mick. Uh, They are officially for sale. The link is in the description uh, of this episode or go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash shop. You'll see them there. Uh, The portion of the proceeds um, from the sale of the flannels will go directly to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. They're super high quality, uh, really, really, actually like fantastic flannels to wear. And they have the Winged Wheel Podcast embroidered logo on them. So at long last, I know you folks were waiting for them for a long time, so we appreciate your patience. We uh, we got a pretty big run of them. They're special edition, and you know they're not going to be in stock all the time. We got a really big run to start, and we thought it would last us the entire season. Yeah, they're more than half gone, and it's been 48 hours. So if you're interested in yours, uh, get it quickly. We've already run out of a size or two, I think. Uh, winged wheel podcast night at the LCA. Like I just mentioned, Saturday, October 29th is the first one of the season. Our third one, uh, overall, it, they are an event that we run in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. There is a live podcast recording featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, as well as ourselves, uh, the hosts, there will be a meet and greet after where there's going to be merch giveaway, uh, autographs. If you're into that kind of thing, uh, recommend that it's from Ken and Mick. Uh, there's going to be food and drinks available for you to buy. And then we all head over to the arena where we have winged wheel podcast specific sections. Uh, it's a good time. There's an after party afterwards. And uh, it's also uh, the tickets are discounted. You get a special winged wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation as well. Okay. The Detroit Red Wings have continued their preseason. And uh, it's a couple games that haven't gone their way. The first one on Monday night uh, against Pittsburgh, they got Casey DeSmith, where I thought they had a good overall game. Uh, they just didn't end up winning. And then uh, last night against Washington, where they ended up losing 4-2. So let's talk about some notable storylines from those games uh, and how that all shook out. And uh, maybe let's start with Tyler Bertuzzi coming back and what that means for the team. A lot. Uh, the simplistic answer, but... Um there's been a lot of shuffling, as there naturally will be in preseason, but Bertuzzi coming back allowed, I think it was only for a practice um, and, and bits of a game, but it allowed Lalonde to really piece together what that opening day lineup is going to look like, so he he immediately reunited Bertuzzi with Larkin and Raymond. Um, in practice, they were running cop with Perron and Verana, which we were expecting and then um you know you can keep going down from there but Bertuzzi filling up that first line wing role really does allow everybody else to fall into a more natural position for them and we don't have the issues last year where guys are punching a bunch of their weight class 
because they have no choice. Now, it won't be as big of a problem this year if there are injuries in the lineup, but you know, it can't be understated just how important Bertuzzi himself is to that top line because he is that quality of player, but how much his presence allows everything below him in the lineup to also succeed to a greater degree because they're in a more appropriate matchup within the game. Yeah, having that, especially close to the end of the preseason, like getting what is going to be at least your first crack at game situation lineups, um, that's crucial. Like you mentioned, you need to know how this is going to shake out. Plus, you know, with Cop being closer to being game ready, that's just another step in that direction. So, I think uh, there was a report today that um, him and Sunquist are expected to be ready for game one. Yeah, which is excellent. That's that's exactly what you want. And it, it reduces turbulence as well, because what happens if you get into a lineup and someone, you know, let's say Michael Rasmussen steps into a 2C role because Cop isn't ready yet and he's doing reasonably well there and then he moves out of that role and that affects his performance, things like that. I'm not saying it's bad for a player to move up and do well in a, in a limited capacity, but what I am saying is um, it is beneficial to have stability and at least what you want to be the lines uh at the offset you want to know essentially if those are going to work and the red wings are in a way they're going to be behind the eight ball right because they have a brand new roster essentially they have so many new pieces that they're going to need to figure out and they have they have roster decisions that they'll have made by then in terms of players that they've cut or set down you really want to not miss a step as you're you're trying to figure out how that chemistry works out uh, Bertuzzi uh, factored in with an uh, assist on the Dylan Larkin goal. And then the next game, actually, um, he did really well, uh, scored himself, and then had a beautiful pass to Michael Rasmussen, a backhand pass. And Ras, what a finish. Wired that home. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, but yeah, it's good to have Tyler Bertuzzi back. And, you know, like you mentioned, Brad, one of the most productive members of the Ford group. There's no nothing but a benefit to him returning. Uh, it's not going to come as a surprise, but Elmer Soderblom continues to be noticeable out there. Uh, that that game against Washington, I thought he was Detroit's probably most noticeable player in terms of offensive chances created. It was a younger roster, a younger lineup, so those guys are going to get a bigger opportunity artificially. But uh, yeah, Elmer was, was looking good, continued to look good. Yeah, his puck control really is a sight to behold because, again, it's unnatural for a guy who's that size to have as good a puck control, and we've went over that a million times with Soderblom, but specifically in the sense that he is really hard to knock off the puck, even in awkward stances and awkward situations. There was two or three times in that one game alone where I thought beyond a shadow of a doubt he was in the midst of a turnover because the Washington player had position or angle or whatever each given scenario was where I'm like, yep, well, that's Washington's puck now. And Soderblom, either through strength or a nifty deke, was able to get out of it every time, almost every time. It was truly impressive. And his timing seems to be really uh, a real standout skill for him as well because even on a lot of the plays where he wasn't doing much himself, by the time something shook loose, he was in the exact right spot to get a good quality scoring chance or to be the... Uh, lead on a two-on-one or, or something along those lines. So, you know, you get hear that saying, the puck tends to follow this guy. That's translation. That just means a guy's consistently in the right spot. Yeah, the puck seems to follow Soderblom. 
our conversations from earlier about sort of Loma, about you know how he's really made a name for himself in this first uh, training camp and preseason for Detroit, and what he's done in terms of really moving himself into a viable option for the roster. He's only continued that. I think him and Bergeron both, again, we don't want to glaze over Bergeron. I know Soderblom's a bigger story, both literally and just because he's newer to the organization. Um, you know, I don't really know or think it's going to shake out this way, but I wouldn't be surprised to see both of them have an opportunity on this roster. There's a lot that would complicate that being the decision from Lalone and his staff, but I really think the way they've played it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say, yeah, they're both deserving of at least a shot on opening night. So this is where the conversation gets tricky because if if we're talking just based on performance this preseason and talent, they are definitely both in the top eight wingers on this team. But the caveat to that is right now, they're seven and eight because they're not A, playing better or B, have more talent currently than Zadina, Kublik, Verana, Bertuzzi, Perron, Raymond. They're not bumping those guys out. So if these guys are on the team, it's as of right now, either as a healthy scratch or on the fourth line. And if if it's as a healthy scratch, that's just a non-starter. That does nobody in this situation any good. They should be in Grand Rapids. If Derek Lalonde has this uh, fantastical new school, we're just rolling four scoring lines and they want to put you know, Rasmus in between those two on the fourth line, sure. Uh, they could absolutely justify it. I don't think anybody in the NHL is that progressive, so I'm going to say that's unlikely. And if they do um, deploy a more traditional fourth line, I don't think Soderblom or Bergen factor into that. I don't think that's good for the development, and I don't think they would play that role particularly well. Um, so it wouldn't be better for the players or the team. In which case, then they go to Grand Rapids. So if you look at this purely on a numbers thing, yeah, they they should be on the team based on what they've done. But if you look into the nuance of it and how this is going to shake down lineup-wise, stylistically, ice time, whatever, I, I still have a hard time justifying it. But ultimately, what it's going to come down to is, yeah, what does Lalonde want to get out of this lineup, lines one through four? The only thing I'd add is if they get sent down to Grand Rapids, they're basically call-ups one and two when the inevitable injuries hit. And it's it's worth mentioning, Sundqvist has been a consistently good NHLer for years, and he plays that fourth-line role really well. He hasn't got to play this preseason. He will be back, but we know what Sundqvist is. Adam Ernie's had a good preseason. Adam Ernie's not a terrific player, but if Adam Ernie's your fourth-line winger, 12th best forward, that's a pretty good situation for Adam Ernie, and that's a role he can definitely live up to. You know, that outside of that two-week stretch where he scored 100 goals a couple of years ago, Adam Ernie is what he is, but Adam Ernie is an NHL player. We'll never forget those eight goals. No. He um, he is an NHL player. He's, he's more than capable of being an effective player on a fourth line. So it's not like they need to plug in Bergeron and Soderblom because they have no other options. No. Sundqvist and Ernie would be fine there, and that would be a perfectly acceptable NHL fourth line because it's probably Rasmussen or Valeno or Suter centering them. There, it, it's all right. So the Red Wings really true, truly do have the luxury here of not having to force anything. 
they can look at each individual player, go, what's best for them and their development right now? Let's do that. You mentioned Michael Rasmussen. He's a player I think deserves uh, some concerted conversation here. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about hypothetically what Philip Zadina could do if he keeps the ball rolling. And I don't I don't regret any of that conversation. I think it's all fair. I know he's a polarizing player, and I agree with the, his detractors at the end of the day where they say he needs to produce. At the end of the day, he does. Hey, he had points in the last two preseason games. He's And he's continued to look good. I think someone who deserves even more credit, and Evan, this is a, a drum that you've been banging for some time now. Just keep, just say it. Just say it. <laughs> Evan, sometimes you're right. I know. About some things. About other things, you come in under the 50% mark, but we won't talk about that. Um, Michael Rasmussen, from the latter part of last season through to now, has looked like a different player. This isn't the first time we've said this. We've talked about his transformation. It seems like ever since they, uh, the Red Wings social team had that video where it's like, what's your New Year's resolution? And Rasmussen's was, <laughs> play better hockey. I think that's literally what he said. Be better at hockey. Yeah. And he simply did. My God, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only person to ever... <laughs> Undertake the resolution and stick to it. Yeah, he's getting better at hockey. How many of you are still going to the gym? Huh? Huh? I, that's why I don't even. I don't even bother with that. He was. Yeah, he was talking to you, Evan. <laughs> not me. <laughs> Evan doesn't strike me as the New Year's resolution type, so I absolutely was not talking to him. No, Evan says the word "milk bag" to describe a physique more than any human being should. So, uh, but no, seriously, Michael Rasmussen has just been a man transformed, and it it, it started with last season towards the end or at least a little bit more than towards the end, and continued through training camp. And this preseason, he looks good out there. He looks good in the same ways where he was starting to look good at the end of last season. He looks stronger. He's put more positionally sound. I find that his game has just really filled out in a way where it's no longer, uh, he's no longer in that tier in my mind where you just mentioned Brad, you know, Ernie and Sunkfist. Oh, Rasmussen is going to be uh, uh, fine as a fourth liner. No, this guy can move into the middle six, I think, pretty confidently. I, I have a lot of hope for what Michael Rasmussen can do, and he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done for this team already. Well, he's done the important thing for a player in his position is he's added new skills. He can pass the puck now. I've never seen him pass the puck like I've seen him pass the puck in the last two weeks. Not in junior, not when he's playing for Team Canada, not in the NHL, not in the AHL. He has... Never been an efficient puck mover. And that was fine because that was never part of his game. We knew what we were getting. Um, all of a sudden, uh, who was it? That pass he had to spring Kubelik on a, I think it was Kubelik, on a breakaway yesterday against Washington where it was a timing play. Kubelik was coming in behind the Caps defender and Rass was basically passing it from blue line to blue line and hit Kubelik in stride right as his stick came came free on the other side of the Caps defender and sent him in on a breakaway. That is a remarkable pass. We talked about the backhand little toss he had on Zadina's goal last week. Those were just plays he couldn't make last year. I, I, last year, those were plays he couldn't make, period, before this preseason. Because we, we've already talked at length about the improvement in his skating and how many injuries he's had to deal with in his career. And, you know, you assume a guy's going to get stronger, so we were anticipating that. And yeah, so all of a sudden he has this new element to his game to go along with the improvements he's made. And, you know, I'm not saying he's Nicholas Backstrom here on his passing, but it's at least 
there. It's a factor. Um, you need guys who are going to play further down your lineup who aren't going to be like five gold duds where yeah. from time to time they'll be able to produce and also be able to do the things defensively uh, and the fundamentals that you need them to. Yeah, one of uh, the most efficient five-on-five five goal scorers in the NHL plays on Tampa's third or fourth line on any given night, Ross Colton. So, yeah, it's super important to have guys, like, you know, if you have Ras playing on your third line, who's able to put up 20-15 or something like that. Um, and, yeah, he looks more than capable of doing it now. I'm still not entirely sold on him as a center, but if that puck-moving ability... Turns out to not be a flash in the pan. That really does open up the option for him at center because that was the biggest thing holding him back and, and causing him to struggle at center last year was he could not facilitate for his wingers. And when you're the center, you have to be at least competent at just about every aspect of the game. And he wasn't. Now he might be. Last year, it was Michael Rasmussen is downright decent at the very least playing wing and at center it was next to useless and net negative for the team this year it's looking like it could be it's still early and it's still preseason but it's looking like it could be michael rasmussen will be good on the wing and serviceable if not decent at center in a bottom six role and that's massive you know what's going to happen pew Suter. What's going to happen? Joe Valeno. Are either of them going to slump at any point? If there's injuries, if there's a trade, um, and, and same goes for the the top six centers as well, Larkin and Cop. The those options for the Red Wings down the middle are the difference in games won and lost. Like I think a good amount of games won and lost. And I'm not saying Michael Rasmussen being a halfway decent bottom six center is going to move him up ten points in the standings. No, but that is a pretty big step for a team that had Larkin and no one else not too long ago. So. You know, I was calling for him to only get, just get stronger, just get stronger on your skates. Cause I was like for everything else, whatever, we know who Michael Rasmussen is as a player, but at the very least you can just get stronger. And like you mentioned, Brad, he got stronger and he added more. So if he continues this and he thrives under the loan, then that is, uh, I mean, good timing for him because the competition was coming, but that's a massive uh, boon for the Red Wing system. All right. Let's talk about, um, one of the actually a, a couple other players I want to call out. I think Zadina continued to look good, um, or at the very least, like not awful. Uh, I think last game wasn't like the flashiest in the world, but continued to look good out there. Um, Pontus Andreasen probably had his best game of the preseason uh, against Washington, and again, that was a game where players like him got a lot bigger opportunity. Uh, and then again, just more Kublik appreciation. His shot's a weapon, and he has offensive awareness, and that is valuable for this team. Let's talk about Simon Edvinson for a little bit, and it's not going to be a whole thing. Watching Simon Edvinson, here's my take. I've seen enough from him personally where you know where his strengths are, and we know that there's high-end talent in there. But... And anything can happen, and there have been better games and and some that haven't been so good. And even within games, I think we saw last game, it was very polarizing. It was feast or famine for Edvinson. Um, We've also seen enough where he's rough around the edges in ways where you can almost predict that this this is a guy who's way better served down in Grand Rapids to work on those things, to hone his craft, 
uh, to to get the pace and the decision making timing to the right level uh, to shake out the nerves and just get used to the pro game. For me, I'm not concerned about Simon Edvinson, but I am a, probably a lot more steadfast in my opinion that he should start in Grand Rapids. Oh, I'm with you on the. I am absolutely 100 percent positive he should start in Grand Rapids. Um, they want to give him a couple games in regular season games at the beginning of the season just to get him a taste. Sure. Um, but it won't be to the benefit of the team. Um, you know, a lot of people were saying last night was a very polarizing game for him. If I'm being honest, I seen two plays where I saw the, the, there's the pop, the wow factor from Simon Edmondson, but I probably could have counted a half dozen pretty un inexcusable mistakes at the NHL level, which is again, fine. He's 19 years old. I'm not expecting a 19 year old defenseman to come in here and do what Mo Sider did. And I'm not holding him to Mo Sider's standards. I'm holding him to the standards of, are you making an NHL roster this year? And that's then, the important distinction. That's, that's what is relevant to this. I'm not comparing him to Mo Sider. I'm comparing him to whoever is going to be the sixth or seventh best defenseman on the Detroit Red Wings this year. And right now it's not him. We've talked about on talent. Yes, obviously, yes. But that's not the NHL. His decision-making in this preseason has been bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's been pretty atrocious. Like, a few minutes into the game against Washington, Connor Brown had basically a breakaway because he just skated by Dominic Kubelik and Simon Edmondson. They just watched him go. And then... On Washington's first goal, um, Camfer and Edmondson were both near the front of the net. They had some miscommunication, and they both decided to leave McMichael wide open for an easy tap-in. There was one play, which was you know quintessential Simon Edmondson, where he made a pinch at the blue line, threw a beautiful deke on the Caps forward who stepped up on him and and stepped around him so cleanly and so smoothly. It was it was art, and then fired up tape to tape backhand pass right on the next capital stick for an easy clean rush the other way for them like on one play you saw literally all of Simon Edmondson you as a especially as a defenseman and Ryan you will appreciate this you to be at the NHL you have to be more polished than a forward because there's less room for error yeah absolutely you get exposed and he in preseason against NHL and AHL lineups is getting exposed frequently and badly and again he's 19 this is fine we knew going into the draft that simon evanson was a prospect where his highs were super high much higher than players drafted around him and his lows were super low much lower than those drafted around him everything that we thought about simon evanson going into that draft has shown up in this preseason so nobody should be surprised nobody should be disappointed Nobody should be hitting the panic button. This is what should have been expected. It's probably gone a little worse than I would have thought, given how strong his season in the SHL was last year. But things that can be hidden on bigger ice can't be hidden on North American ice. And I think that's all that's happening here. He hasn't adapted to the pace. He hasn't adapted to the smaller ice. He hasn't adapted to the top level of competition. That's what Grand Rapids is for. Spend a year there get him closer. If we're still having these same conversations next preseason, we're hitting that button, that that concern button. 
we're not there yet. Don't worry about it. But he's he's not an NHL player right now. Your your point about defensemen needing to be so much more polished is so important for people to understand. And I know it's a little bit different on the Red Wings because the competition is like uh, a used chip bag, uh, a couple of like 50-year-old veterans and Mo Sider typically. This year, there's a lot more competition to the point where, you know, I'm not clamoring to have Edvinson on the team because even if he's not good right now, he's still better than whoever they have. Maybe last year, like, and we've talked about that before. The timing might have been better. But yeah, all things considered and and the, the points you mentioned again about you know, the flaws are exposed a lot more on a smaller, faster North American ice and the Red Wings having a stronger defensive group. Have him hone his craft, have him refine his game in, in the AHL where he's not going to be eaten alive like he would playing NHL minutes right now. And he would. And, you know, it's not like every defenseman goes through that path, but most do. And especially if you consider where his his flaws or his areas where he needs improvement are, in the pace and in the pace of decision making, those are like top tier. You need to be able to do this well to survive in this league. It's how defensemen who aren't good skaters do well. Like look at early years, Danny DeKaiser. What did he do well? He made the right move. He was in the right place at the right time and he did it at the right time. That's how Danny DeKaiser survived. So, you know, you can be as smooth skating and skilled and talented as you want, but until you can manage those things, in terms of decision making and execution and knowing when to do it, your your whole game is going to suffer disproportionately. So yeah, work on that in the AHL. They have a good system down there to work on players, uh, work with players. Cider, people forget that Cider got a year in the AHL as well. So you put it perfectly, Brad. There's no panic button to hit. Don't be concerned. We'll talk in 365 days if if things haven't improved. But for now, within the conversation of is Simon Edmondson a bona fide NHL player right now? My opinion, no. And that's why Steve Eisenman brought in, I'll say veteran, but a NHL, day-to-day NHL defenseman on the left side so we didn't have to rush Simon Edmondson and have him play out a position way too high in the depth chart. So, you know, yeah. it's it's just it was just an insurance clause in case what has been realized um, was going to happen. So I think... There's no way. Like I don't see how Simon Edmondson has success this year in Detroit if that was where they think is best for him. I think Grand Rapids a little bit slower pace, learn the North American game a little bit more. Um really take the time to to work on the decision making and 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 the timing. Um I, I just don't see how being in Detroit would really set him up for a successful year. Also, if I might go so far as to say, I think Albert Johansson has a better case. He does. He does. Johansson obviously is not as dynamic as Edmondson. But Johansson, despite having some rough moments in the preseason, as any rookie defenseman will, they have been far fewer, far less frequent, and... The mistakes he's made have not been as, for lack of a better word, egregious. He's made minor mistakes that did not lead to goals against, that did not lead to chances against, um, you know, a couple botched breakouts, you know, missed coverage in a low danger area. Like, it's it's happened. He's not perfect. I don't think Johansson's ready either. 
I, ideally, they they should both be in Grand Rapids. But if you want to talk between the two of them, who would have a, a smoother transition to the NHL right now, it would be Johansson. But I, I don't think either of them are developed enough yet to to the point where it's better for their development to be in the NHL. Well, the Red Wings have two games left. It's a home-and-home, Friday night at 7.30 in Detroit, and then uh, Saturday in Toronto. They're probably going to hang on to their young guns uh, pretty late into the preseason process just for that second part of the home-and-home to give their their NHL lineup uh, rest before the the season starts on October 14th, a week later. Uh, So we'll know about the cuts late in the game, but we'll definitely know about them. So we'll see how it all shakes out and... um, I mean, Lalone acknowledged they have some tough decisions to make. Uh, I very much see this as a, there are no definitive 100% correct paths forward situation though, which is a good situation to be in. Um, it's probably better described as there's no absolutely awful path forward. You can make justification for a lot of them. Yeah, when when I saw the projection from that one practice where it looked like they had pretty close to an NHL lineup set, by my rough count in the in my head, they're gonna have to cut three NHL ready or capable players, and that and I'm guessing two of them are gonna be Bergeron and Soderblom, which again for all the reasons I laid out before, and then if I had to guess, probably Giovanni Smith. Yeah, like someone like that. They have to. It's it's the downside of getting better. Now the players that you cannot, you do not have room on your team to keep are actually starting to be good players. And, and it's a good problem to have. It sucks for those players who miss out, but you know, it's the nature of the beast. All right. One more Red Wings topic here. Uh, Dylan Larkin remains unsigned. And, you know, we had a conversation about a month ago about what's going to happen with his contract, made some predictions. I think we're anywhere like 9 million plus or minus 500,000. Somewhere in there. Well, Matthew Barzell just signed, also 26 years old, uh, just signed an eight-year deal with the New York Islanders valued at 9.15 per year. Uh, If you look back a little further, Tage Thompson, 25 years old, with Buffalo signed a seven-year, $7.142857 million deal. So call it 7.15 per year. These things are getting expensive. You know, centermen aren't cheap. They never were. But does the Barzell deal especially push you towards believing that Larkin's number is going to be north of nine? If it was anybody but Iserman, I would say definitively yes. Um, I'm still going to say probably yes. Because... Barzell and Larkin are both in the same camp where they have circumstances where you wonder if their production would be higher if, you know, what was going on around them was a little different. Uh, Not the same circumstances, but circumstances holding their production back. Uh, Barzell's being his coach, the Red Wings, his team being, and Larkin's his team being bad. But Larkin's been the more productive player. Larkin's had less to work with than Barzell. Like Barzell had his 85 point rookie season and has not come close to that number since. Yeah. Larkin was essentially a point per game player or really damn close to a point per game player last year and the year before and uh point per game top 15 20ish center in the league 
it's absolutely that's worth nine million dollars all day. So I, I think Barzell was that. Yeah, it's going to be hard to negotiate down from there, given the circumstance and and the comparables. Because yeah, I think Larkin's the better player of the two. I don't think it's a huge gap between them, but yeah, it'll be it'll be tough for Stevie to get it under that number. And you also got to factor in we just got the salary cap projections, rough estimates for the coming years, and and there's supposed to be a rise. So, you know, a nine million dollar player today by percent of cap might be an eleven million dollar player by the end of the uh, an eight year contract term. So. Stuff like that, agents are going to be negotiating off of. There's a lot of moving parts here, but yeah, I. Point being, I have a hard time imagining this contract coming in under nine now. Yeah, within uh, by 2025, 2026, the salary cap could be as much as, you know, nine to $10 million higher than it is right now, which is extremely significant. Now, I think a mistake people make is they try to attribute all 10 of those million to like one or two guys, and that's just not how proportions or fractions or anything like, like that works but that's certainly what agents are going to be looking for they're going to say hey you have a uh, three mil more in cap space this season and you have a guy who needs a three million dollar raise so. yeah i got 50 contracts <laughs> but yeah i think what really kind of keeps me anchored closer to nine if not and i, I won't predict this but i don't think it's crazy to to imagine it might come in under nine depending on what eisman is able to squeak out of that that negotiation um, the Eisenman factor works in and the fact that Barzell is in and around there, I don't see too much of a separation in terms of price between those two guys. Um, I think there's probably differing opinions on who's better depending on who you ask. Uh, but those agents are going to be negotiating off of that. You know that. I don't know that the Robertson deal factors it, too it, much. It doesn't. People were making that all. comparison, but he signed a four-year, seven point seven five million dollar contract. You know, the I understand only, it, but he doesn't play center, and he's younger and earlier in his RFA UFA cycle, and it's just not the same situation. No, yeah, the only two things those guys have in common are their left-handed forwards. That's the end of the comparables between them. The Brings truck is backing up slowly. And in four years, oh, the doors man. are going to open because I think that's when Ben and Sagan come off the books too. That is going to be, if he continues as as he is, that is going to be a monster contract where he has all the leverage. Salary cap is going to be way higher. That's probably why he agreed to sign four years now at what I think is a discounted price for Robertson. Absolutely. Because he's like, all right, then I want a handshake right now or I'm betting on myself that I'm going to get Two, two brings trucks. He's going to be in Florida in four years. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I am truly shocked um, how many eight-year deals have been signed this offseason, given what we know about what's going to happen to the salary cap. I understand, you know, you got to mitigate risk a little bit. Injuries happen, declines happen. But if you're a true superstar in the league, and like a Jason Robertson just I'm did, taking a small of length yeah. contracts as humanly possible. Yeah, what's the uh, next big jump in the salary cap? Two years from now? Yeah, give me a two-year contract right now, and in two years, I'm absolutely getting the biggest bag imaginable. Yeah, but you know what? We've seen that fail time and time again. I, I, not I, often. Not for not for top-level players. I think it's a very much a subjective strategy in what you want to do. Like There are guys who just 
want to have a boatload of money, whether it's $80 million or $86 million, just get a get a good investor yeah. to run, to, to handle your money. Like some guys just want that guaranteed money and there's guys who <laughs> like to roll the, not roll the dice, but put the chips on the table and say, I'm going to take way more money, yeah. at, do a four and four, and then be have $96 million without having to do anything different than they're currently doing. Like how many players have actually capitalized appropriately on the market. The only one I can think of off the top of my head right now is Austin Matthews because Oh my god. <laughs> he he could have got whatever contract he wanted from the Leafs. Whatever he wanted, 1 2 to 8 8 years. And he's like, "Nah, give me a 5 year. I'm only signing a 5 year deal." They walk him right to unrestricted free That's agency. That's still Kyle Dubas's biggest mistake. It, yeah, it absolutely was. But now we're talking Austin Matthews's contract is up right when he's becoming a UFA right when the salary cap's supposed to have its first significant bump. Like, and obviously he'll probably sign that extension if it is an extension with Toronto a year ahead of time. He's probably, what, does, does contract start at 15? 15 That's per year? That's the number that jumps out to me, and I've definitely done zero sort of math behind that. But if you're... Awesome, Matthews. Do you just walk right to free agency? I I, I agree. I, I don't think he he signs a year early. I think he waits. Uh, he could do either, and he's good. He might be the NHL's first like true maxed out player, like because Brad Richards signed for maximum cap hit, but his term was shorter than was allowed. Matthews could go eight by like sixteen or whatever it happens to be at the time. He might be that guy if he walks right to unrestricted free agency, which if I was him, I would absolutely do. Like he played the market perfectly. He's like, yeah, I don't want an eight year contract right now. I'm betting on myself because I'm going to get an even bigger payday. Jason Robertson just did it. Although based on the reports, it was Dallas who actually pushed the shorter term, which is going to end up screwing them in the long term. But, you know, for our sake, hopefully Larkin doesn't do that, but he's too old to do that. This is something guys got to do coming out of their entry level. Like Kale McCarr signed an eight year deal. What a mistake that looks like now, eh? Sure he doesn't care because he has a cup, but that is going to be one of the best value contracts in it, the NHL. It is right now. It already is. Yeah. <laughs> He's an MVP candidate making under 10 mil for seven or eight more years. I remember, I remember, like, you know, you can always think that that is going to be a great deal for Colorado, but then you're like, oh, a guy that age, a defenseman, that's a lot of money for him. I remember thoughts swirling and conversations swirling as like, oh, is this good or bad for the cider conversation? Absolutely, undeniably, this is fantastic if you're Steve Eisman. It's a strong data point for the team. Yeah. And so, <laughs> well, you want to make more than Kale McCarr? Ooh, Ooh. You better start skating a lot better. How much? Uh, how many con smites do you have? Imagine being able to negotiate Mo Sider down after the season he had, and that's what the Kale McCarr contract that's allows. That's what good GMs do. Yeah. And any decent agent will go, no, this does not factor in. We are making more than this. And that's why we have Darren McCarty in the room for those negotiations with Claude Lemieux. <laughs> Who is, and again, I repeat this because people don't always know, uh, he is uh, Mo Sider's agent. So that is the Dylan Larkin contract update, not update because there's no news on Larkin, but just something to consider um, in terms of a ballpark. All right, we're going to jump into the Western Conference here, but before we do that, I first want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. 
Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. Gentlemen, the Western Conference. A little bit of a different show than the East. Probably fewer major players that are going to be, you know, absolute bonafide. They're making the playoffs and they're going to make noise in there. But it has turned into, I mean... There's a lot of interesting narratives surrounding the teams in the West. And if you're a team who's really trying to make a name for yourself and break out of your you know, purgatory or, or being in the lower tiers, this is the year to do it. This is going to be the Wild West. And they uh, those teams will have an opportunity to kind of make the most uh, of their rosters. And if you run into a hot streak, you can end up way higher up than you would have in, let's say, you're, if you were in the East this year with how strong those teams are. I could make a half-decent argument for every single team in the Western Conference making the playoffs except for Arizona and Chicago. Some teams, you got to stretch it out a bit, but it's within the realm of possibility. But that is way more than we can say for the Eastern Conference. You know, if Seattle gets half-decent goaltending, they were actually, a by most metrics, an average NHL team last year who single-handedly got sewered by Philip Grubauer. San Jose has enough talent that they just need bounce back from one or two guys, which is rare in their 30s, but, you know, as we saw Nazem Kadri this year, guys can do it. Um, Anaheim has a lot of young and -and up-and-comers. L.A. could be shockingly good this season, you know. Man, Winnipeg, I don't think anybody thinks, was as bad as they were last year. It's wide open, and it's fascinating like I almost just want to use like um, pull Arizona and Chicago out of it and just use a list randomizer to make my predictions because that'll probably be more accurate than I will be closes Chrome browser (laughs) (laughs) all right why don't we start with the um, I was gonna say the Western Conference the central division here and uh, I'm gonna make an insane prediction Colorado finishes on top I know I know whoa that's one of the only solid storylines that I think you can attribute right now to the West and the Central Division division specifically. What do you guys make of how that one's going to shake out? You know, Arizona and Chicago are going to finish at the bottom, presumably, with the way their rosters are constructed, with what they've shipped out, what they're not bringing in to replace, the fact that they're playing in college arenas, what have you. Um, other than that, you know, Dallas, Winnipeg, Minnesota, St. Louis, Nashville, that is going to be a, it's all up for grabs behind Colorado in my mind. It is. We we can write in the first place team with Penn and the bottom two teams with Penn and then 
again, list randomizer for the middle because, you know, Dallas was probably better than they showed last year, but they still have a lot of problems. You know, their goaltending seems solidified now. St. Louis seems to be taking just a bunch of Red Wings cast-offs and they don't have the Ville Husso safety net if Bennington goes sideways this year, so are they going to be as good? Nashville was a huge overachiever last year. Does lightning strike twice there? I don't know. Winnipeg was the inverse. They were way behind where they expected last year, and they have a new coach coming in this year. And Minnesota, you know, they lost Kevin Fiala, but by all accounts, they should still be a very good team. Where do they stack up, you know, Sons, that guy, and a couple intriguing rookies coming in in another year of Kirill Kaprizov? So... I really just truly do not know what to expect from this division. Should be fun. I have Colorado going first. Um, I think it's tough. I know a lot of people are discounting the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I saw a lot of projections having them around fourth, fifth. I don't know, man. I'm a big believer in that team, and I think they can do something special this year. Yeah, I have. I'm with you. I have Minnesota at at two as well. Um, Yeah. Losing Fiala hurts a lot, but I, I still like their overall roster more than the teams below them. Yeah, they're going to have to definitely, like that will be, it's not going to be a no impact move, losing Fiala. Like that is going to be a bigger impact than people maybe give it credit for, but it's not that they can't fill that in. Um, I think Bill Guerin has painted himself into an interesting space with the cap there, but those have been, you know, big brass moves, right or wrong. They were made with, you know, full bore, full intention. So um, he's reaping right now. There's a lot of sowing. There's a lot of reaping. What do you make of the Nashville Predators? Because this was a team that was on the brink of they should be rebuilding and they're hanging on way too long. Just it seems like a year ago. Where do you have them right now? Where do I have them in this division? I think I'm going to be penciling them in at sixth. I, I think last year was an aberration. I think last year was the outlier. I don't think Duchesne repeats what he did, even though it's a great story. I think he'll still be good, but not one of the best goal scorers in the league good. Soros played at basically a Vesna level for most of the season. That's always tough to repeat for a goalie. And then they had so many other things, like Tanner Genot came out of nowhere, and you know another three or four guys massively overperformed expectation. I just, I have a real hard time believing all of those things are going to repeat again for them this year. St. Louis is also tough because that's, you know, a very good team, but they are going to have to depend on Jordan Bennington being a solid starting goalie all year. I know he took over in the playoffs last year when Vili Husso didn't, didn't play too well for them in the playoffs, but um, Bennington didn't have a good season prior. That wasn't his net until the postseason. I think their performance is going to rest on how their goaltending does. I think they need a really big step from Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo this year to to compete. Again, they lost talent, and they're one of those teams that are very quietly getting very old. Hence why Cairo and Thomas just got the eight-year deals thrown at them for what seems like a huge overpayment, not huge, but like what seems like an overpayment at the moment because they don't really have anybody else in that age demographic that's going to be able to contribute for them. Even Perunovic is out six months now, not that he was going to be a huge contributor. But Tarasenko, again, is he going to repeat what he did last year? Uh, Probably not. Ryan O'Reilly is another year older. Pareko is another year older. They extended Nick Letty four years for some 
godforsaken reason. If Jordan Bennington does go sideways, their answer right now is Thomas Grice. I I don't I really did not like St. Louis's offseason. And again, they're a team that is not getting younger. They lost Perron. Yeah. Thank you for Perron and Huso. But yeah. I uh I very tentatively have it shaking out as Colorado, Minnesota. Let's call it Nashville, St. Louis, Dallas, Winnipeg, Chicago, Arizona. Well, at least we'll have some contradiction because, yeah, mine doesn't look anything like that. I, uh, I'm well, one- Other than the top and the bottom. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm wondering if Dallas is too low on my list at five. I've got them in the playoffs. I've got Colorado, Minnesota, Dallas, Winnipeg, St. Louis, Nashville, Chicago, and Arizona flip a coin. You're big on uh, Winnipeg, having a fourth. Honestly, if I'm being honest, I'm more down on Nashville and St. Louis than I am big on Winnipeg. Okay. I, I think Winnipeg is better than they showed last year with all the turmoil they had in the room and all the side storylines. Now they have a new coach coming in who's off to a not great start by stripping their captain of his C, but between... Maybe necessary. Yeah, but they, they still have a lot of talent. They still have Connor Hellebuck. They still have Shifley... Ehlers, you know, you can, you can go on and on. Dubois, they should be better. But again, I, I don't think Nashville is going to repeat what they did last year. I think St. Louis has, has weakened. And I think, you know, I'm more confident in Minnesota and Dallas than I am the rest of those teams. And I'm not super confident in either of them either, you know, as I alluded uh, earlier. But that's my best guess for now. Yeah, the middle of this division is is just a toss-up, I think. And it's all really how you sort of compartmentalize every single team. Like you guys said, for me, Avalanche are the standout in this division for all obvious reasons. Um, and the bottom two are also the inverse of standouts for all obvious reasons. Um, and then I think you can make a case for pretty much any team in the middle. And I think... Those t- the teams that win those divisional games consistently will be the ones that make the playoffs. Interesting. So. Well, I mean, like if you if you do <laughs> much much better in division, but lose a bunch more out of division compared to the other teams in your division, I think you'll still make the playoffs. Or Evan the, much higher. Evan the stats miner. If we take points from the other team <laughs> while also gaining points, well, there's a lot of teams that are really good out of division, and then when they get to the playoffs. They struggle because they just can't beat the teams that are also strong in their division. This is why I haven't liked Michael Rasmussen. What do you need to do? What's your New Year's resolution? Be better at hockey. It's the old Boos Boudreaux effect. Look at that. He eh? went for it. Yeah. Did he say Bruce or Boos? He definitely said Boos. <laughs> Clip it. <laughs> Clip it. <laughs> All right. You have Colorado first, and you have Chicago and Arizona seventh and eighth. I'm going to make you fill in the middle here. Yeah, now i got to look at this because I can't see it. Um, Old man. Oh, my God. This guy's deteriorating in front of us. We'll start from the top. Colorado, obviously. Um, After that, I still think the Wild are pretty good. I'm a little unsure of where the secondary scoring comes from, but they still have guys like Joel Erickson Erickson Eck that can fill in. And Matt Boldy's... Yep. He had a great rookie campaign, so... And Marc-Andre Fleury clearly does not age, so... I have them at two. Um, after that, I've got Nashville. I think they can repeat it. Um, Roman Yossi, 
Uh, looks like he's on the same trajectory again this season. Um, UC Saros, I think he just needs to be UC Saros. I don't think he needs to win a Vesna to get this team into the playoffs. And they got guys like, uh, they brought in Nino Niederreiter, I think. Yep. Um, Ellie Tolvin, and maybe one day he'll actually be good. Um, so I think there's still a lot there from them, and they don't need uh, Matt Duchesne to go uh, nuclear to to project them into the playoffs. I, I think they're still a very strong team. Nuclear. Um, after nuclear. that. What? <laughs> We're doing Simpsons quotes. Disregard oh, okay. us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the Avalanche, Minnesota Preds. Um, after that, I'll, I'm going to go with the Blues. I still think, you know, they'll just keep her going. Um, after that, this is just mostly a toss-up at this point. Like, I don't know if I really like Dallas all that much. I don't know if I really like the Jets all that much. Um, I mean, I've never heard a locker room. Well, other than Philadelphia, I've never heard a locker room more dejected in my in my life. Yep. Um, but I think Winnipeg on paper is a lot better than, than Dallas. So I'll go Winnipeg, Dallas. Oh, you just saved us from having the exact same list. You're welcome. Apparently I'm the only one here who believes in, uh, the trio of Ottinger, Heiskinen and Robertson. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Okay. Um, let's jump to the Pacific. This is Edmonton's time to keep going. Are they built like a complete holistic you know you gave the the coach a decision on how this team is going to be built stanley cup or division winning team no they are being dragged forward by two game-breaking players one of them who's probably the best player hockey has ever seen ever to date and they make difference in the wins column even in playoff series not just over an 82 game season like Connor mcdavid will win them games leon dreisaitl won them games on one foot I have Edmonton still taking that division. And then after that, I think there is uh, a lot up for grabs here because I think Vegas, Calgary, LA, Vancouver, and even to a degree Seattle can all have a piece of the pie here. This, again, same things apply to the Pacific as a central, except there is no certainty, not at the top or at the bottom. It's it's all the mushy middle. Um, Obviously... Uh, Edmonton has the nuclear weapons. Calgary <laughs> somehow possibly might have improved, but we don't know because it's very different. There's no way Vegas is as bad as they were last year. Los Angeles is only getting better as the core of their team uh, gets older and improves. Anaheim could be the wild card with uh, you know a good goalie and a bunch of young talent. Seattle, if they get competent goaltending this year, what are they? <sighs> yeah, I think I'm I'm just going to play the obvious card here and I'm going to go with you and pick Connor McDavid to win the division mm-hmm. just because I don't... He's the only... Him and Drysdale are the only things in the division I'm confident in. So screw it. I'll just run with that. I, um, I'm a big believer in Vegas's return to form. Not that, you know, anyone's necessarily rooting for it. I think they've made a lot of enemies, but if you're a hockey team, you don't give a shit about what other teams' fans think about you. Um, Who's playing a net? Yeah, You. Suit up. I could be, yes. No, you can't. 
do no, this. I definitely could not. <laughs> it's and that's a very fair question, Evan. Um, when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in your division, you should probably hope that you have above league average goaltending. That's where my argument will fall apart for them. But I also think people are discrediting the impact that Jack Eichel can have. Uh, you know, losing Pacioretty is is not great. It's certainly not going to be a boost to them. Um, but I can see them really coming back with a vengeance, vengeance, especially with how they missed the playoffs last year. I'm going to go in order. Edmonton, Vegas. So I have Vegas second. I'm going to say Calgary third. And the only reason I don't have them second is because I think they're going to have a They've had a seismic shift in their team, both in terms of loss and in terms of addition. And I think that's going to maybe take some time to take shape. And it won't be so clear to start as to how that'll settle in, but you can't ignore the amount of talent that they still have. I like what LA has done over the years. Uh, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be challenging for the division lead, but I really like the way they've kind of rebuilt on the fly and and didn't tear it all the way down. And I, I think they've made the right moves. I don't know that they're going to get the kind of performances that they need from Quick and Doughty to get to the top, but I see them firmly in the middle there, at least challenging for a wild card spot. Vancouver's interesting. I think we're going to see much better Pedersen than than he, Pedersen and Hughes than we did for good portions of the last season. I think Pedersen especially is poised to break out. And uh, Seattle, they're not going to be among the best, but you have to imagine it's going to be better than last year, especially in net. And then Anaheim and San Jose are just, they're in that phase of their their, their team's paths. I have San Jose last, Anaheim seventh. Yeah, your your list is a little too similar to mine for my liking, but different enough. Um, again, like I said, I have Edmonton at first. I am going to go Calgary second. Um, the one thing when I was thinking about this division that really stood out to me is just, my God, does the goaltending suck ass in this division. Yeah, it's bad. It's horrible. So... Jacob Markstrom is probably him and Thatcher Demko are probably comfortably the two best goalies in this division. So, and Vancouver had both of them, right? Yep, <laughs> yep. Um, so you know, any tiebreakers, I have to go with the goaltending in this division. So for me, that's Calgary. I'm going to go LA three. Um, I really like what they do, and even though their goaltending is not phenomenal, they have at least two of them who are capable. So they they have the luxury of being able to ride the hot uh, hand any given week. I'm going to go Vegas fourth. I don't want to, but I I, I can't talk myself out of it. Um, eventually, they'll get some goaltending. And I mean, between Eichel Stone, Marcia So, Theodore, Carlson, they, they have enough there. They cannot be as bad as they were last year unless they get just as injured as they were last year. You know, assuming they get it worked out with Nick Hag as well. Um. I'm torn between Seattle and Vancouver here. Like, I feel like I could flip a coin between them. But as I previously alluded, in this division, tiebreaker goes to the goaltending. And I have way more faith in Thatcher Demko right now than I do uh, Philip Grubauer. So I'll go Vancouver, then Seattle. And yeah, I'm with you. As as optimistic as I am for Zegris and Drysdale and McTavish and a lot of the good things Anaheim will do over the next uh, five to ten years at I don't think it's going to be this year, so I'll go them and then San Jose in the basement. That may actually be the exact same thing I have. Go through it. Uh, Oilers, obvious reason. Yep. Flames, I think, are going to be better and more motivated 
because they just watch their team get destroyed at the by Kachuk and Kadri leaving. And then they get two super, like one superstar. They're more well-rounded. I think they're going to be excited to get the season underway. So I've got them at two. I have LA at three. Okay. I think their prospect pipeline is loaded and they're going to have a healthy Quentin Byfield who hasn't, didn't get a full season under his belt because of an ankle injury. Still have guys like Arthur Kaliev wondering when that guy's going to pop off. Um, So I've got them at three. Uh, after that, I'll go Vegas just because they'll will themselves to the to the playoffs outside of having no goaltending. I think that team's too talented to to not make the playoffs. You and your semantics, having to stop the puck. God, these hockey purists. A lot, lot of 6-5 games in Vegas' future. Yeah, yeah. bet the over every single game. Um, so I said Oilers, Flames, Kings. Vegas. Vegas. After that, it starts to become a lot of the have-nots. Um, I'll go the Canucks. Same reason. Reliable goaltending. Um, Pedersen wasn't great last year. I expect bigger things out of him. Um, Kraken after that because they're very much just fine. Yep. Um, after that, the Ducks, I they're far more interesting than um, San Jose is. And they've got intriguing players that are going to start filling out their roster. Um, and then San Jose. It's San Jose. Yeah. There you go. Eight for eight. We did it, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, I was just really waiting to use that. <laughs> <laughs> we should not have left the buttons in front of you. No, you absolutely should not have. All right, folks. Uh, that is our very quick abbreviated Western Conference preview um, our next preview will be much dictated by how the Red Wings handle cuts and roster decisions, because if that goes beyond Monday, well, then we're going to wait to do our full Red Wings season preview. But the plan is to have our full Red Wings season preview on Monday, and then the Thursday episode thereafter being the Atlantic season, Division season preview. And, uh, well, then Friday, we'll see you at the game. That's crazy that it's already a, basically a week away. By the time people listen to this, it'll be a week. That is nuts. I do feel like we had a full summer, full off season for the first time in forever, but it is still insane that we're already a week into October. I feel the inverse. You don't feel like you had a full off season? No. How much did you golf? Not enough. Shut up. I don't want to hear this right now. All right, folks, we're going to jump into uh, overtime. Before we do that, though, I do want to give you a little bit more information about Wings Money on the Board. It's a campaign that we uh, started in partnership with our good friend uh, of the podcast, Prashanth Iyer. And what we're doing is we're raising money for the Jamie, Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, by way of uh, making pledges based on how the Red Wings and how hockey goes over the season in general. So there's a lot of different ways to participate. The main one is uh, you check out uh, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash wings MOTB. It'll give you all the instructions on how to make a pledge. For example, uh, 50 cents for every more Cider hit this year. Uh, $2 for every Lucas Raymond point, whatever you want to do, you make those pledges. And at the end of the year, you make your donation based on the results. And you're also entered into prizes for, uh, for giveaways, things like that. Anything from uh, winged wheel podcast merchandise, we'll put a flannel in there. Um, jerseys, uh, meet and greets with, uh, the hosts or, you know, Ken and Mick, whatever it might be. Uh, it's a lot of fun and it's really cool to track. Last year we raised $32,000. This year, our goal is $50,000, and we really think we can do it with your help. 
We also have a couple other uh, really exciting ways to participate, uh, get some really great prizes, some grand prizes, you might call them. Um, and uh, more to come on that. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod as well to find out more. All right. Time for overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to support the show, it means the world to us. And uh, one of the benefits of being a Patreon supporter is you get your comments read out on air as our way of saying thank you. Justin Whitmer asks, which coach in the Western Conference is most likely to get fired first? Boos. You think so? Absolutely not. With the his relationship between... Uh... The, yeah. With him in the Canucks front office, and Vancouver has made it very clear with how they're handling things. They're in their window. I mean, nobody tell them that they're not, but in their mind, they're in their window. So if they don't come out of the gates flying, I could see it. Uh, Dallas Akins, if not just for Anaheim underperforming based on what they thought they could do, I don't know that they had a roster for him to be terribly, terribly successful with, but uh, Pat Verbeek just went over there, and that's not a coach that he hired, right? So... Yeah, that's always a situation where they might go. Uh, another name that someone mentioned to me is Dave Haxtall over in Seattle. Um, I don't know that you can pin last year's failures on him, but he didn't really come in with the world's best pedigree. I know that decision was much criticized when it happened. I criticized it, for example. Um, and if Seattle underperforms again this year, I can see that being a, a potential change that they make. Okay. Elmer Soder and Onion. That's a good one says, I really enjoy Giovanni Smith and watching him play. Do you think he'll be on the roster this year? And what level of hockey do you predict, do you predict he's going to be playing three years from now? <laughs> uh, no and AHL. <laughs> he'll be on the roster this year when injuries and or toughness dictates, but it won't be much. He wasn't on the roster much last year, and the Red Wings roster got like four players better this year in terms of top six players. So The Giovanni Smith window has officially closed. Uh, elite first scoring line, Scott Dork, Sleeve McDykel, and Bobson Dugnut says it's over. It's finally over. It's done. No more Jason Robertson rumors. Who's the next player from another team we'll be hearing rumors from uh, within our own community about coming to Detroit? Pasternak, Bo Horvat, Travis Sanheim, McDavid, Brad Crisco, Pete Davidson. Oh, well, Pete Davidson will cycle through at some point. We know that. Nick Hag. It's already kind of started. He's skating in Kitchener. We should go ask him. Yeah, we honestly should. That's a funny situation of the team saying, we have no money. We really like you, but we have no money. And Nick Haig almost literally saying, I don't see how that's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Vegas having no cap space? That is very uncommon. How would they have anticipated that? What, through their cap decisions? Evan, your your expectations for a hockey team are so unreasonable. I know. Yeah, you're just old man. Nick Haig's like six foot six. Like the Red Wings absolutely need to trade. For him, could you imagine an Edvinson Hag Cider blue line? That's like 37 feet of defenseman. It's that's long defenseman. Uh, Evans Potato Farm says, I stumbled across you guys on YouTube back when I was on uh, paternity leave with our first two and a half years ago. It was right at the start of COVID, and as new parents, we weren't sure what the future would hold. And here we are now, just finding out that we're pregnant with our second crazy where time goes. Congratulations. You've listed your name as Evans Potato Farm, so I'd love to call you anything other than Evans Potato Farm. (laughs) But to Evans Potato Farm and I suppose Mrs. Evans Potato Farm, that's amazing news. Congratulations. Uh, All this to say thanks for giving us something to listen and look forward to because God knows the wings haven't done much of that for us in a while. 
Anyhow, I was wondering if Cider and Raymond kind of messed with realistic expectations for rookies for this fan base moving forward. Either people people are looking at prospects through rose-colored glasses where they can't do wrong or they're being hypercritical and expecting them to be Mo-level ready. I'm just seeing some of the discourse around Edmonton and some of the takes seem wild to me. Also, my vote for best pizza is Louie's in Hazel Park. It's about a 20-minute drive from LCA. Oh, yeah. Cider absolutely sewered Edmondson completely inadvertently, but the the takery on Twitter has been scorching. And I'm Eric. says, good evening, fellas. Uh, currently on a bachelor party weekend up in Traverse City. Played around a round of golf. Probably shot a 150. Heaven's nightmare. <laughs> Whoa. One of us. One of me. <laughs> Shooting that, I would probably sell my golf clubs. <laughs> Uh, shout out to The Bachelor, uh, Mikey, and I'm not reading that last name because I'm not sure that it's real. Yeah, no, that's not real. Uh, many years of happiness to you both. What's the reality for Joey Venom given his waiver exempt status? Is he showing enough now in preseason to solidify his spot on the team? My answer is yes, and and pretty obviously yes, but we we've seen some tricky roster movement before, so I'm not ruling anything out. Yeah, Coming into the preseason and seeing things only on paper, I thought mm, it might be closer to a coin toss than people would have hoped for Valeno. But based on how he showed, I don't I don't see them being very much in favor of sending him down, especially because he's going to be a future middle six center for them, they hope, right? And what it ultimately might come down to and probably will come down to is, is it worth, like Joe, Val- Joe Valeno is an NHLer. When was the last time he played an AHL game? It was a long time ago. Um, I think it was very early in last season. Is it worth possibly tanking uh, Valeno's confidence and or development in order to keep Giovanni Smith? He's a guy who we've seen takes a while to wind up, but when he gets going, can can get into a rhythm. And so, yeah, you don't really want to disrupt that. So, yeah. And last question here from Original Patty says, people keep cautioning against comparing Edmondson and Cider based on what Mo did last season. Isn't the better comparison Edmondson versus 2020-2021 Cider? Is a better measurement, assuming uh, Edmondson plays in Grand Rapids, comparing him against Moe's 2020-2021 season in Rogla? Also, when talking about Moe's ceiling, locally people immediately gravitate towards Lidstrom, while nationally it seems to gravitate toward Pronger. Sadly, I'm old enough to remember Vladi in his prime, and I can't think of a better comparable. Physical when necessary, high hockey IQ, initially underappreciated for offensive abilities, a likable foreign swagger, confidence, etc. Is this a fair measure, measuring stick? Keep up the great work. Yeah, that's that's very accurate, because, I mean, it's easy to forget. Vladi was a Norris finalist. Never won one, but he was a finalist. He was among the best defensemen in the league. He wasn't just the guy riding Lidstrom's coattails. He w- he was a legitimate stars, and that's what Cider's projecting to be. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap this up, and we're going to record our Patreon-exclusive overtime. Uh, what's coming next is there isn't going to be an episode on Sunday. It's going to be released sometime late, sun- uh, late Monday morning, uh, and that will much depend on uh, what the news of the day is, what the structure of that show will be. But the next two episodes, will one of them will be a Red Wing season preview, and the other one will be an Atlantic Division season preview. So again, uh, no Sunday episode is moving to Monday morning, maybe early afternoon, and then Thursday after that. So a week from as we're recording right now. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, all of our listeners, new and old, uh, folks were approaching the season. 
Uh, all of your support means the world. Again, link in the description to find out uh, how to get your Winged Wheel podcast, Mickey Redmond Flannel, um, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, it means the world to us. All of our patrons, thank you. Our name, level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur is the best. Nick Perks, uh, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Han has been an assignment. Jemathong, Matthew M. Rice, Brendan M., Carl, Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scobie, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Elite First Scoring Line, Scott Dork, Sleeve McDykel, and Bobson Dugnut, Give Blood a Fight Probert, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna the Unshowered, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, The Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Adam Rose, uh, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, Adam Rose, brand new name level sponsor, welcome and thank you for the support, uh, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Ben Barron, uh, Darren Fick, Dave W., Philip Zadiz Nuts, in a vacuum, it's fine, and I'm Evan. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rapsey, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, no, I'm Evan Crisco, O. Ophelia, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Ryan Hanna's good doppelganger, Ryan Stinky Hanna and his band of unwashed beer leaguers, Stinky Boy Ryan Hates Showering. <laughs> and thick rick all right folks we'll talk to you later i'm going to enjoy the comfort of my own chat thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan